online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirits. This week, Turkey. It may fly beneath the radar when it comes to wine, but it's a treasure trove for enthusiasts with its indigenous, enticing grape varieties and historic wine culture. We'll explore with Master of Wine, Sarah Abbott, and Turkish expert, Gustem Gerbushatik. The wines of Turkey have been a well-kept secret, certainly in the UK's crowded market. So it might come as a surprise to find that the country actually has the fifth biggest vineyard area in the world. Granted, a mere 3% of those grapes are destined to be made into wine, but the country has an illustrious vinous history dating back to the early origins of viticulture and was, during the late 19th century, actually one of the main producers of wine for the whole of the continent of Europe as phylloxera wrought devastation elsewhere. Throw in some remarkable treasures, courtesy of its distinctive indigenous grape varieties, homegrown talent in the form of its winemakers, and it's possible to picture Turkey as a major force once again in the world of wine. So let's explore that potential uh, before we hear about some gold medal winning wines too. Uh, Sarah Abbott is a master of wine and an expert on Turkey, and Gustem Gerbushatik is uh, also uh, an expert and she's worked within the uh, Turkish wine industry too for Kyra. And they both join me now. Sarah and Gustem, welcome to The Drinking Hour. Thank you so much, David. It's wonderful to be here. Let's begin with a huge question. Sarah, why should we be excited about Turkey's wines right now? I think we should be excited because they're in a real blossoming of quality, diversity and confidence and also because it's a continuation of a, an, an unknown but actually very long wine growing history. So you've got this mix of a long and little known heritage and really just thrilling, diverse and really fresh wines that have come together with this heritage and it's really one of the most exciting points for the renaissance of Turkish wine culture. That Turkish wine culture is uh, really fascinating and, um, dare I say it, relatively little known even within the wine world, I think. Um, I was writing a piece just recently uh, about uh, Turkey and its wines, and it is really one of the ancient wine nations, isn't it? Yes, so... The land of Turkey or Anatolia, if you like, wants to make wine. So this is one of the cradles of vinifera, vitis vinifera. And I guess you have to just bear in mind that the land can be ideally suited for growing wine grapes. But of course, that's all refracted through political and societal events and so Turkey, of course, has been under Ottoman and then uh, Islamic government. Well, actually, technically, it's a secular government, although it's becoming more and more religiously uh, inflected at the moment. But I think because the I, most people know that the majority religion in Turkey is, of course, uh, Islam, and and most um, the majority of Muslims, of course, don't drink. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a wine culture there because there are plenty of secular inhabitants of the country who really enjoy wine. And it has the fifth largest area devoted to vines in the world. But of course, when we talk about vines, we're talking about table grapes, grapes that are used for drying, for dried fruit, for, for food items that 
don't involve alcohol. So actually, although it's got the fifth largest area of vineyard of any country in the world, it's actually a relatively small proportion that is used to make wine, isn't it? That's right. And getting detailed on exactly how many hectares of vineyard are dedicated just to wine grapes is quite tricky because all the wine grape growing in Turkey is really undertaken by individual companies. There is no support or collective at a governmental level. But having said that, as you say, with this huge vineyard area, and Turkey is uh, an important producer of grape juice, uh, molasses, raisins, etc., there is actually a lot of expertise in grape growing, even though the dedication then to wine grape growing is a small part of that. And we don't often get into politics on this uh, podcast, but the political climate, you're a master of diplomacy anyway, more so than I am, I think. (laughs) Uh, The political environment of late under the government of President Erdogan has been more challenging, shall we say, for the production of wine, hasn't it? Yes. And so under Erdogan, it's no secret or it's no controversy to say that the long-established secular government of Turkey has increasingly been led into a more religiously sort of inflected route, and that this is something that is is really a a point of concern and and some sorrow to lots of people in Turkey. And it's the most amazing country, full of diversity. I mean, this is a country that has hosted and been, um, been, um, you know, a nation of extremely diverse populations. But what's happened really over the last 10 years is that the environment for winemaking has been made rather more hostile. So there's a kind of low-level Theresa May-style hostile environment being created for winemakers. But they they have they found their way around this in several very creative and inspiring ways. Yeah, let's look on the bright side because uh, I didn't know um, how they had reinvented themselves in that way until I was visiting Turkey for uh, the judging sessions. And and actually, there's much more focus on the vineyard now than the wine, isn't there? That's right. So essentially, a law was brought in in, I think it was 2012, that banned the promotion or mention of wine. Um, And This really challenged the business model of many of the most then thriving boutique wineries of Turkey because they weren't allowed to promote wine. They couldn't sell wine online. They couldn't do anything that encouraged the consumption of alcohol. And I should just say that before this, there were, of course, sensible licensing laws and restrictions as you find in in every country and and as we need in every country so it's 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 not that the produ- the wine producers of turkey uh, are against those very necessary you know regulations that make sure that wine is consumed by adults and that it's controlled and so on but basically because they couldn't promote wine or wineries or have wine tastings, like nothing. They couldn't do anything to actually promote their wines. But there was nothing to stop them from promoting vineyards. So wine tours turned to vineyard tours and wine hotels turned to vineyard hotels. Um, And this actually, as often happens when, when an authoritarian decision is made to repress an aspect of culture, as you often find, this leads to an ingenuity which actually brings in an 
element of increased resilience and depth. And this is exactly what's happened in Turkey because it really put the focus on talking about vineyards. And this in turn has really brought in this new wave of Turkish wine culture where they're really focused on great viticulture, on heritage vineyards, on heritage varieties. And in fact, the producers now, although it's been very tough, the best producers in Turkey are very much in demand and they're increasingly exporting. And it, that's why, going back to the beginning, it's a, a really um, exciting place to uh, discover wine. Uh, let's look at some of the grape varieties because um, Turkey has um, this just as you think you've discovered every grape variety, which actually, frankly, is pretty impossible, that then you you have a whole raft of new and exciting and delicious and enticing grape varieties, which was very much my experience as, as we judged in uh, Istanbul a few months ago. Um, just tell us about um, those indigenous varieties, really sort of where they've where they've come from and um, what characterises them, if you can, if you, if you can be that, um, talk in general terms. Okay, so sort of Turkish varieties 101 kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, so, so if we start with whites, there are, I'd say, three key whites that you will see frequently. So one of these, and I think the most exciting, is a variety called Emir, E-M-I-R, and Emir means leader or, you know, the boss kind of thing. And Emir is from Cappadocia, which is in the centre of Turkey. And this is where you often see those images of the rather fantastical tufa earth formations with the hot air balloons going uh, above them. So Emir is a white variety, which, like its name implies, is really intense, steely, it retains fantastic acidity, has a very sort of graceful but um, intense structure. And this is the kind of variety that actually was very exciting when we did our judging with um, lots of the Somme's. You could think of it, it's almost the kind of wines it gives um, recall the kind of steely, um, savoury minerality of Good Chablis, for example. Mm. So that's Emir. On the kind of fruitier side, you have a variety called Naringe, um, which is spelled N-A-R-I-N-C-E, Naringe. And Naringe means delicate, and the grape is quite delicate. The vine leaves of Naringe are prized for making dolma, actually. So one of the historic issues with Naringe is that sometimes it was picked slightly underripe because its leaves had already been picked because you could get a double a double harvest by selling the leaves. Wow. But Naringe, when it's treated with respect, is a really lovely variety. It's gently aromatic. It has a, a fresh to moderate acidity and can make really just nicely, delicately perfumed wines. If you gave Naringe to a Pinot Grigio drinker, they would not be freaked out. It's a really friendly, accommodating wine. And then you have a variety called Sultanie, which is usually known for table grapes, but when treated with some respect, it can actually make really nice wine, especially in a blend. Oh, no, I should also mention Muscat. There's quite a lot of Muscat in Turkey as well. And then in the, the reds, so I'd say the kind of friendly hero of Turkish reds is a grape writer called Okuzguzu, which is spelled O-K-U-Z-G-U-Z-U. And Okuzguzu is really juicy, friendly, plump, makes really gorgeously gluggable wines. And that's from the, um, the southeast of Turkey. Then you have a variety called Kalechik Karasu, which means the black grape from Kalechik. And this is often called, even by Turks, like the, the Beaujolais or the Pinot Noir of Turkey. It's very delicate, pale colour, very fresh, lovely, gently floral fruit, very smashable wine. And then the third sort of main red is a variety called Boiscare, which means throat scratcher. And you could think of this almost as like at the Tanat 
cross Nebbiolo of Turkey. It's not related to either of those varieties, but I'm just giving the comparison for, you know, for style. And this is a very intense tannic variety that in the right hands can give wines that are really compelling with really beautiful texture. I should just say all of those varieties I've just talked about, the Turkish varieties, are quite often blended with international varieties. So dating back from the time of Ataturk, uh, the founder essentially of modern Turkey, who championed wine production in the country, there's a lot of Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Merlot, Chardonnay, planted in Turkey and they're quite often blended with the indigenous varieties with often with great success. Well let's talk in a moment about the evolution in style which was very evident uh, in the judging process but let's bring Hushtem in now to uh, talk about uh, some of those uh, great varieties and, and let's kick off with your own perspective on uh, the first of those that Sarah mentioned, uh, Emir. Okay, uh, actually, uh, these grape varieties are uh, very unique, um, uh, but not they are only not only these ones that we have in Turkey. However, uh, in terms of Emir, it's coming from uh, Cappadocia region, which is right in the center of Anatolia. It's a uh, volcanic region, and it has uh, many. Um, eruptions throughout the history so the volcanic soil is very very uh, mineral and emir with this continental climate has a very very good vibrant um, uh, acidity and uh, minerality of that soil and the key thing about that soil uh, and uh, the um, i think uh, grape is also something that is uh, very important they are ungrafted because there is no phylloxera there due to the sandy soil. So it's a kind of a very, very, I think, um, treasure for us <laughs> in terms of, the, you know, the character and uh, uh, the vine uh, characteristics. Yeah, uh, it's Sarah mentioned yeah. Chablis, and um, I know mm. it's somewhat crass to always relate things to more famous things, but it is very helpful to people who are new uh, to yeah. uh, grape varieties. And there is a parallel with a really nice uh, Chablis, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Um, the the vineyards are not trellis; they are all in goblish style. Has to be because it uh, gets very very cold uh, during winter, starting very early in the um, uh, autumn. So and the temperature differences might work uh, bad for the vineyards. That's why I mean, lots of people cannot manage the vineyards very well unless they are goblet. Uh, but this gives a really, really good characteristics. And I think it's very uh, good to compare with Chablis. Uh, only with the, uh, maybe, I think, uh, a difference of uh, Emir doesn't have that kind of a capacity of, let's say, this um, uh, body structure, I would say. Uh, it has rather more fruity and minerality and, uh, you know, this, um, you know, very, very strong character. So I thought... I always think thought that Emir would be a very very good actually uh, champagne kind of uh, sparkling wine <laughs> in that region. Uh, so I think that's for me the main difference mm. I would say. And what about Naringe? Because that's a really uh, uh, delicious yeah. great variety yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Naringe, I think Sarah mentioned, the, it means delicate. Uh, so it has a very very thin skin. And uh, this area, people uh, pick this, uh, unfortunately, the leaves as well, <laughs> so that the grapes uh, stay without the leaves. So uh, any any producer who was who's uh, buying grapes from that region pay for the uh, vineyard owners not to pick the vin vines because the vines weren't uh, much more than the grapes most of the time because people eat the vine leaf, uh, you know, sarma, the stuffed uh, uh, variety of, you know, gastronomical delicacy of Turkey. So anyhow, that's the dilemma of that area. But it's a, a, uh, the area that they are, uh, Tokat, is a microclimate, uh, very close to the uh, Black Sea region, which is very, very rainy. However, that river running through it uh, and the mountainous area 
And that has always been uh, since the, you know, the antiquity and also the Byzantine and Roman times, uh, an area of uh, wine growing. And Naringe has a really, really nice aromas, great body. And, you know, and you can also uh, age it. Uh, and uh, it has full potential of, you know, trials for different style of drinking with fresh uh, and young. And also when you age it, it also has a really, really nice uh, intensity of aromas and bouquets. Yeah, that was a variety that really was showing well when we were judging. Uh, Muscat. uh, Now, there are many different uh, types of Muscat, of course. Um, Sarah mentioned Muscat as a hero variety. Tell us about Muscat in Turkey. Well, actually, Muscat is a really uh, hero variety. Uh, however, we don't have it much anymore. Uh, so people just uh, didn't uh, continue to uh, have it. Uh, there are only really very, very few areas in the east, uh, western part of Turkey, uh, in Aegean part, that you can find really good uh, Muscat because Muscat also is, although it's a very, very... Uh, adapted uh, to the area in Eden site can still be very, very uh, delicate and uh, some burns are really uh, easy to have so that you can have uh, oxidized uh, muscat as well. So, I mean, people are now uh, recently regrowing uh, the muscat uh, variety from this Asian uh, region, but uh, the aroma profile is really very, very um, good in terms of the uh, all the tangerine, mandarin, and I think bergamot, uh, especially very, very local, uh, you know, all the orange, uh, lime, uh, citrusy aromas, and also the florals of linden and rose. So, and it has a really good acidity if it's made uh, really nice. Uh, in terms of uh, dry variety, people also do it, tend to do it uh, semi-dry. And uh, it's like a really nice summer wine when they are doing it. Lots of people are drinking it like a refreshment, uh, like a lemonade, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> uh, during like time as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and let's talk about the reds as well that Sarah mentioned. So first of all, Okushkuzu. Um, it's one of my favorites uh, it, because uh, when I was working for Kaira, uh, we were the Eastern uh, winery uh, and I used to go to the Akuzgazu. I still go, but it was my like uh, love at first sight kind of vineyard. So the uh, grape is both used for table grape and uh, 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 wine grape. And it has really big um, shape. Uh, and in terms of the bundle and uh, the uh, each one of them, uh, it has a really nice um, black, but mostly also red uh, fruit aroma characteristics. Uh, it might be uh, really nice in terms of acidity. So when it's fresh, uh, it's mainly uh, mainly done. Uh, it doesn't have too much tannins. Uh, so it's really, really nice, good structure wine. I sometimes uh, compare it with um, the wines like in the uh, Barbera Dusty, I would say. It's that kind of a, a vibrancy, yet, you know, density. Uh, so it, it, it's like really nice acidity and also a good cr- structure. And... Uh, this variety, it's the area of uh, the Armenians, of course, uh, the Elazığ and the Harput and the, the Arabakar area. They used to blend it with a Boaskere, which then maybe I will talk with Boaskere as well. Uh, it's yeah, a great uh, blend. Uh, yeah, because these two, like maybe in Bordeaux as well, like Merlot, Cabernet, we we can make that kind of a, you know, uh, uh getting together um, metaphor, uh, Boasker has a huge tannins. You cannot eat it. It's like a really interesting, when you look at the shape of the grape and the uh, leaves, it's so unique and it's uh, it's so characteristics of that really, really very tough climate and geography. Uh, so it has a huge potential of getting uh, aged uh, and uh, a really different kind of uh, uh, aroma profile. It's like the black fruits, dry fruits, the figs, the prunes, and uh, the eucalyptus even. Uh, somehow, Boasker has that 
characteristics. But the Italian should be attained and it, it needs time. So when you blend it with Boascare and when you age it, it gives uh, amazing uh, results. Uh, so uh, the, the region uh, bringing together with Kuzguzu and Boascare, and to me, I think it's uh, like the uh, Mesopotamia, the Euphrates and Tigris rivers. <laughs> yeah. And Sarah clearly has a soft spot for uh, Kalachek Karasi. <laughs> Tell us about that. Okay, um, you know, uh, the Karas means black and Kalejik is a, the village that started uh, Kale- uh, this grape, which is uh, very nearby to Ankara, central Anatolia again. It's around um, 900 meters altitude in that area. But somehow within that even very rush climate, a ha- harsh climate, uh, there is the, also a river and a very nice microclimate of Kalejik. So this uh, variety is very very nice and uh, lots of lots of red aromas strawberries and uh, cotton candy it's really raspberry uh, so nice uh, when it's young so it has the potential that you can do uh, even a white or a very light rosé uh, and very nice uh, very very um, fresh um, young wines but when it's aged in that area, the, the wine um, gets lots of lots of earthy characteristics and uh, it has a very dense, intensive um, characteristics of um, this acidity coming together with that red grapes, but also the soil. So I really enjoy any kind of Kalijikers and I think that it has the potential of being, you know, uh, exported because I think this, with this all changing characteristics, it has, you know, the uh, catching eye catcher capability. And uh, Kalijik curse is not only uh, cultivated in that their origin region, but it's also been uh, transported to Asian region. So those ones are much more fruit driven rather than doesn't they don't have they don't carry that uh, ageability characteristics, but. Still, they have this vibrant acidity and uh, red fruit characteristics in the Asian region as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, got great potential, I think, uh, that variety uh, really uh, sort of on trend for current wine tastes. Uh, do you, how many indigenous grape varieties are there in Turkey, by the way? Do, do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, it's a huge amount, actually. Uh, there is, because of the, actually, Turkey is one of the domestication area of, uh, you know, the grapes. So uh, we have uh, all, I think, in total, uh, in uh, there is this uh, grape and viticulture institution in Tekirdağ. Uh, they count each one of the uh, grapes and they uh, pick like a collection uh, vineyard. So there, there is uh, around uh, 1,435 grape varieties. Uh, but out of them, it's around 1,150 of them are like uh, unique cultivars because some of them has synonym names uh, carried over to different regions. So it's, it's more than 1,150 grape varieties we have in Turkey. And... Uh, Currently, around 60 of these indigenous varieties have been transformed to wine, actually, which is great because we didn't have it 10 years ago. So we had many Boaskeri, Oküzgözü, Kolejikarısı, Narinje, like the six varieties that we talked. But uh, newcomer, new wineries are much more interested in the land they are and they are trying to find the old wines and trying their potential. Which brings us neatly on to a a grape variety that um, I certainly hadn't heard of before I came to Istanbul. Um, And then uh, Sarah mentioned uh, that that even she hadn't heard of it, and she's heard of almost everything. Um, This is a a wine that we gave a gold medal to. It was absolutely delicious. And we were there at the end. Once the uh, We were judging blind, obviously, but once the wine was revealed, we were there cooing at this bottle of Ergish... (laughs) Karazi, tell us about this very unusual, rare grape variety. Well, David, you're not alone into, you know, <laughs> getting like, what, what is this? Uh, many people in Turkey as well is like very curious and doesn't know, have heard the variety for the last one year, maybe. 
because this variety is from the uh, area, it's uh, 1,770 meter high. It's uh, around the one lake in the far eastern part of Turkey, uh, near maybe Armenia and Georgia border. Uh, I would say uh, this variety is very unique. Uh, I've been there in the vineyards. I was very lucky last year. Uh, you don't feel that altitude, by the way. And the vineyards and the colors on the, of the wine, the grapes are so vibrant in purple with cloudy, uh, you know, shapes, uh, cloudy and round shapes. Uh, you can understand just by looking at the grape variety how strong it is and how unique it is. Yet it's not like harsh like Boascare. So these these are really very vibrant, very strong, very big potential uh, grapes. And uh, when you just transform it to wine, you just f- see the results. It's amazing. And we just started to do it like uh, two years from now. So uh, there are only three wineries now uh, collecting uh, wine uh, grapes from that area and uh, making Ardish uh, Karasu. But I think there will be more to come. It's it's going to be very, very interesting to see the results upcoming years. It certainly is. And a wonderful old vine story. So, Sarah, for a, a time, the, the wines uh, produced in Turkey were perhaps um, a little too influenced, let's say, by uh, some of the international trends, particularly around the use of oak, which, as we all know, needs to be judiciously used to make a, a, a balanced wine. What um, is your perception of, of where Turkey is now in terms of the way that they are choosing to uh, make wines? I would say we're in a blossoming of confidence and kind of... Not exactly national pride, but I think we're I think we're at a time when the Turkish producers have found their own voice, if you like, in the wines that they're making. So when I first went to Turkey to judge wine, gosh, nearly ten years ago, there were some really good wines. There were also a lot of wines that were sort of impressive or likable and correctly made, but that in a sense were very international. You know, they could have come from anywhere. Now, the thing about this, and I'm talking about things like, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc. And certainly I would say for the UK palette, there was a feeling that they were big, bold, lots of oak and kind of impressive. And, you know, those wines, they do have a place, but I think in, in wine, just as in every other kind of creative product, and consumer goods, there are fashions. And in a sense, what was fashionable then in for Turkish consumers, which was big wines, ripe wines, lots of new oak, was not fashionable for UK consumers. And what we have seen now, I think, and it partly relates to the question that you raised at the beginning of this focus on the vineyards, I'd say we're now at a point where the value of the indigenous varieties has been truly recognized and championed by Turkish producers and Turkish wine consumers. And it's just worth pointing out that all of those native varieties have an inherent freshness. They have a liveliness and a balance that is almost effortless. And I think that they are now fully valued and respected by Turkish wine producers. And you've got a lot of young winemakers in Turkey who've traveled around the world, who've worked in different places, you know, in France and Italy, and who are very aware of this increasing confidence in wine that just lets the grapes do the talking and the vineyards do the talking. So it's really about effectively in very simple terms doing less yeah well it's uh you have to do a lot to do nothing you know (laughs) in wine so I think it's a trend that you see across the wine world so I think through the 90s especially and maybe the early 2000s we had a lot of you know authorial wines you know wines that were about superstar winemakers and it was really about the winemaking that's when you had a lot of super cuvées 
Um, and this is something you saw all over the world, by the way. You know, it happened in Spain, in even in Italy. And actually, it's a trend now, I think, across wine, especially with any kind of premium wine, that the link to place and the idea of letting the inherent fruit character um, sing is is really there. And I think there's a trend certainly around any kind of wine that aspires for quality and interest to be much less influenced by oak than was the case, you know, 20 years ago. And just to be clear on what you're not saying, uh, you're not saying that international varieties in Turkey equals in any way a bad idea, are you? No, I, I really am not. And in fact, there's some really nice Sauvignon Blanc in Turkey. There's um there's some really nice Sauvignon Blanc that's planted down in the um the southwest, um, around by um Denizli. And in fact it's very nice wine. And also there's a big market for it in Turkey. Um so you know, the producers they they need to be able to sell their wines, and I think it does have merit. So it's not that international is bad and native if you like is is good it's simply that i'd say the palette of what they can create with has expanded and actually from a promotional and marketing perspective there is a value in especially when you want to open new markets in making really good examples of well-known international varieties that people know how to pronounce and are comfortable with because it's a way in, certainly a way in perhaps to the less geeky consumer because I think we have to remember we are real geeks. I mean, we're fetishists, you know, we're, we're kind of show me the weird stuff. Speak for yourself. Not everybody is like that, you know. And and, and uh, But it's, it's simply another aspect um, of the diversity which can be used to attract consumers because you know the wines need to be drunk and sold and enjoyed and that's what will keep the industry thriving and a really good point we'll talk uh, about how turkey's winemakers might uh, uh, crack the international markets uh, because it's to a great extent a blank canvas uh, very shortly but let's uh, uh, bring in uh, uh, Gushtem, uh, again, how have you seen the wines uh, evolve? Uh, because you've clearly been working very closely with them for quite a while now. Yeah, actually, uh, I was working in a winery as well. So I know clearly <laughs> the evolution as well by myself. Um, so um, as we mentioned, I mean, Turkey is a very old wine and vineyard country. However, uh, our winemaking style is very young and very learn. Uh, I mean, we are in the stage of learning. So uh, as any people starting learning wine, uh, there are lots of uh, consultants also coming from abroad. <laughs> so there are lots of influences coming from abroad as well. And I think uh, when we see the results uh, for the last 15 years, um, the wines uh, are now made in the vineyards, uh, which is very, very good. Uh, and I think it's not uh, thought in the uh, winery. It's not like a projection in the winery. Uh, people started to get uh, more of the um, understanding of the, the surrounding, the geography uh, and the terroir of the vineyards and the grapes. And so uh, you don't see uh, the usage of uh, overpowering oak. Uh, you see much more fruit-driven wines. This, this richness of uh, the variety uh, can be seen uh, much more clearly because when you overpower with other things, uh, you can just lose the identity of the grapes. So to me, people are much more uh, attentive to understand and listen to what's going on in the vineyards. And uh, that's, that's a really nice thing to see. And uh, I really appreciate mo most of the uh, producers in that sense. So back to you, Sarah. Turkey's a blank canvas to so many wine lovers. There is so much there to love, potentially. 
Uh, that was certainly my perception being there. Um, but these names are unfamiliar. Uh, there are, I can think of many of my friends who would not know that Turkey even made wine, to be honest. So um, what does uh, Turkey do to try and get itself on the global wine map? That's a very good question. And actually, the short answer is, as an entity, not very much. It's all about certain individual producers and then most grassroots uh, fellowships, if you like, coming together. So one of the most exciting initiatives that actually has happened this year is that the uh, Fern Collective, of course, which is uh, the collective of which Gojdem is a co-founder and, and part, has been championing the rescue and winemaking from the um of the Karasakis variety from um from the um from from the this region in the um the northwest and they've been enormously successful actually in achieving attention they obviously had the IWSC foundation grant and they've been able to have wines exported um and available in the UK from top importers so it's it's kind of about individual brands and then small groups there hasn't been a sort of wine of turkey initiative for some time and i'm entirely sympathetic to that because unlike equivalent organizations for example in georgia or italy or spain or anywhere really the 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 turkish producers really have to sort of get up and and make their own initiatives because there is there's there's no kind of government or regional structure that supports them and so i think you're starting to see the wines become more available so for example in the uk you've got people like novel wines in bath who've got a really lovely turkish wine selection uh, they have the wines from Pashele, for example, which is imported by the great people at Graft and Red Squirrel. You also have Inotria uh, working with Turkish wine and uh, specialist importers. I think I'm seeing a renewed interest and confidence from Turkish producers to really come back and start to talk more about their wine. But, um, for example, the Wine Society imports uh, Turkish wine from a really good producer called uh, Vinkara. So the, the wines are there, but really it's we're just starting to see the kind of the blossoming of a concerted effort to export the wines to the UK. I should just say that actually the demand for Turkish wine in Turkey is very high at the moment. So the impetus to export perhaps is lower than it was a few years ago. But I think it's so important that the wines are exported because it creates an ongoing awareness that this is a wine country. And that's very important because that will allow the industry to weather any fluctuations in domestic demand. And that's where a competition like the IWSC comes in as well, um, helping to, to build the profile of these uh, wines um, internationally. Um, you were, uh, along with um, uh, a fellow MW, Alastair Cooper, um, you were uh, chairing our, our judging sessions. And, and Alastair, uh, by his own ambition, was a, a newcomer to, to Turkey, but you know, vastly experienced in uh, judging wines and also hugely knowledgeable about what works to get to consumers internationally. And then, of course, you have uh, more than a decade of uh, experience now in uh, the wines of Turkey, as well as uh, substantial experience uh, judging wine as well. Um, what was your perception, um, the pair of you, actually, because you talked a lot, obviously. Um, did you go home optimistic? I'm very optimistic in terms of the quality and the style of the wine. We tasted a lot of really accomplished and stylish wines that were really unique. And I think it's just worth pointing out that although I did my little mini history, my, my sort of potted overview of the main Turkish varieties, what we're seeing now is so many additional varieties being made. And these are really compelling wines 
that I would say are up there with this style of intense yet fresh reds and very mineral yet textured whites that's very much that are very much in demand at the moment and of course also that there is a story there is an appeal that by buying these wines you're not just enlarging your own horizons of ways in which wine can be tasty and beautiful you're also supporting a kind of global vino diversity movement and for example lots of the turkish indigenous varieties have extremely good resilience and resistance to drought um and i know that that is being looked at by researchers because of course this this kind of uh, response to increasingly high temperatures and irregular rainfall and so on is something that's really pressing and concerning to the world of wine uh, across across countries so i'm i'm actually i was really pleased and encouraged both by the quality of wine and the diversity of wine and also actually that ali who is no pushover <laughs> in, no, in uh, his ratings um was was actually impressed also with a lot of the wines. And Gojdem, uh, what are the uh, sort of tastes of the Turks uh, when it comes to uh, wine? It's a very general question, clearly. But but what what sort of wine styles are are, are doing well with those who who choose to drink wine in Turkey? Well, um, <laughs> I think uh, we should maybe start with the Turkish culture. It's a very macho culture, I would say, <laughs> to start with. So it's like, uh, uh, and also people are smoking a lot heavily and uh, eating heavy and spicy foods in most part of Turkey. Uh, so, and also like you can find very, uh, you know, sharp edges, like very sweet things and very, very spicy and very acidic things. So that brings you no doubt with uh, really big and bold wines. So people, when they start, uh, they really want to drink when they are eating uh, really big muscle wines. So that's what we see. That's, I think, why we have so much uh, new vineyards of Cabernet and Merlot blends. I mean, you see lots of Bordeaux style ones, which are great, by the way, because Trace Terroir nearby to Bulgaria, uh, which is like uh, the edge of uh, Balkans, I think it has a really good potential of making really nice uh, big muscle wines. Mm, there are really nice Shiraz as well from that region. Also, So, so you see those people are drinking uh, when they are replacing their Raka, <laughs> which is a distilled with anise uh, drink, alcoholic drink of Turkey national drink. They drink uh, this kind of big muscle uh, wines. But uh, I would say for the last uh, 10 years, that was also a new starter. People also, it, because of the very hot summers, uh, do drink a lot of beer. So the rosés became uh, the summer uh, replacement for beer, which was a really big uh, opening. And it was not only the women, it was also both men and women drinking rosés as a replacement for beer. So I can say that rosés and the big, um, strong muscle wines are the uh, pick for Turkish people in Turkey. The uh, I think uh, if people are starting to get curious in wine, they start uh, looking for different varieties and uh, indigenous varieties as well. But it's a kind of, uh, you know, step-by-step moment. Uh, to me, I don't prefer most of the time the big muscle wines anymore, for example. Well, I was going to ask, uh, how did you sort of develop your interest in wine uh, at first? Well, uh, it's a long story, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it didn't like, it wasn't purposeful. I mean, I'm going to go to the wine kind of a thing, but uh, maybe lots of sliding doors as well. Uh, in 2004, I started working uh, in the private company that uh, privatized, actually, company of Old Monopoly. So I joined uh, as a marketing person uh, to the company. However, in the meantime, I was doing my PhD in uh, institutions and structures. So I was kind of in between of seeing a state organization of monopoly being transformed into a private uh, organization. And 
unfortunately, there was no uh, data or any kind of inventory of you know the uh, the things that have that have been done uh, during the monopoly time. So I started to work in the library, national library, uh, the in terms of the what's the heritage, <laughs> what's going on, and uh, that was not enough for me. Then I started to go around the vineyards with the winemakers and viticulturists. So because there was nothing uh, that I was. I was a marketing person, but I didn't have any story to tell. <laughs> so uh, it was based on this kind of a um, traveling uh, movement that throughout uh, viticulturists, winemakers, in the wineries, in the so many different areas of Turkey, that I realized that there is this abundance of vineyards and uh, we just don't see it. We don't understand it and we don't have that, uh, you know, uh, reflection within ourselves in the, in terms of generation because of many many things like it's very sociological lots of things happens in this uh, lands you know exchange of people uh, people exiled and uh, you just lost all this culture I was kind of really uh, involved in terms of like uh, personally not only about my job uh, so uh, I think uh, it was uh, lots of traveling, reading and learning as well that uh, kept me um, uh, going after wine. Uh, I also understood that there was no person giving a, a wine um, lecture in Turkey. So, I mean, uh, only the wineries were doing their own wine. This is our wine. This is this is the grape kind of thing. So uh, we also uh, brought Turkey WSET uh, as an institution and translated the documents so that people can learn about wine and their wine journey can happen. And uh, I think it was one of the uh, great things that uh, we did uh, during uh, my time in the company. But I still follow the journey, as you know, with the heritage wines of Turkey. And Sarah talked about the challenges that face uh, Turkey's wine producers, but also uh, she's clearly uh, optimistic about uh, mm -hmm. the future for uh, Turkish wine. Uh, is that an optimism that you share? Um, <laughs> uh, it's like... Um... I do, of course, uh, because I see the potential. It's not only for Turkey. It's a human heritage, this land. You know, there are so many old wine and ungrafted wine regions. So we should definitely keep talking internationally. Uh, and maybe uh, we should make uh, a pressure from outside Turkey. The issue with Turkish uh, wine producers, which are now 191 of them, is that uh, there is so much uh, short-term uh, life pressure, economical pressure on them that they cannot think uh, long-term. And uh, the future for Turkish wines uh, around the world uh, is a long-term journey. And uh, it's uh, that's why it's difficult. But uh, having, you know, keeping this in, uh, on our mind, we should still... Uh, do our seedings if, if it, no matter whether it's big or not that's what I'm thinking and that's what I'm trying to do so I understand the um, you know the discouragement of the producers if they just have this you know intention and then they get back uh, however we should definitely bring the academia the industry and somehow the government uh, through economical uh, perspectives and showing the potential of economics uh, together. And I think there are some signs of that because these export uh, associations are really trying to push to add value on our export, uh, you know, um, budget. <laughs> so I hope that it's going to be um, a good journey. <laughs> I, 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 sh I should be optimistic, definitely. And it's also worth saying, isn't it, that yeah, wine tastes evolve. We get uh, familiar with countries that we weren't familiar with before. And, and when I first started buying wine, um, New Zealand was a new thing. Yes. Yeah, that's it. I think that, especially in the UK, it's just worth pointing out that we have some of the most adventurous and open-minded wine drinkers in the world. So this is reflected in the enormous range of wine styles that are available here and the enormous range of wine countries that are represented here. 
And I think that UK and the US are really kind of global shop windows for just how big and broad the world of wine is. And I think that although that kind of experimentation and tasting of, uh, if you like, less well-known countries, it's not for everyone, but the point is it's for enough people to really be able to ensure and contribute to the ongoing success of those countries. And, you know, you can kind of think, oh, well, what does it matter if everyone just drinks, you know, Cabernet and Chardonnay? But actually, in the annual report that's published by one of the big Australian universities, What Grapes Grow Where, we know that around 80% of the world vineyard is accounted for by about 20% of the world's varieties. It's one of those classic 80-20 ratios. And what we know about farming is that diversity is resilience. And it's not just that it's delicious and exciting to have this diversity. It's also that we don't want to go down this route of this road of what scientists call genetic erosion, where you're actually losing this incredible diversity because we don't know what we're going to need yet. You know? Yeah. Really good point and the perfect place uh, to uh, end this uh, edition of the drinking hour. If you haven't tried a Turkish wine ever, uh, then, then, do because uh, you've had some uh, great direction there Um, and if you're already a fan then uh, there's plenty to uh, drink to there as well the drinking hour with david kermode in partnership with club onologique the world through the lens of wine and spirits as ever we round off with some medal winners from the iwsc hall of fame Uh, There were five gold medal winners from the day of in-situ judging in Istanbul at the Raffles Hotel. Uh, I was there. Uh, So here we go. Uh, First to that gold medal winner that we referenced earlier from an incredibly rare grape variety, not one that uh, I'd heard of, uh, Erkish Karasi. Uh, the wine is called Akberg Letter, Erkish Karasi 2021. It won 96 points and also scooped a trophy too. So best in show. Uh, here's the tasting note. Pronounced black fruit aromas with an underlying earthiness. A structured palette of dark cherry and plum textures. Complex layers of elegant tannins with a long and fine concentrated fruit filled finish. Next Kalpak Tarim, Chateau Kalpak 2019, a gold medal winner with 95 points, a blend this one, 56% Cabernet Sauvignon, a quarter Merlot, Cabernet Franc, the remainder uh, Petit Verdot, so uh, a proper Bordeaux blend. Here's the tasting note, complex dark black currant and cherry fruit with a deep savoury palate of smoked meat and tobacco combined with blackberries and layered with chocolate tones and a balanced intensely fruity finish and the third of our golds this one again 95 points uh, coming from my own judging table judging alongside uh, Rebecca Palmer from Corny and Barrow and Johannes Hartman uh, a local expert Kochabag Bagchilik V Sarapilachilik Kochabag Leos 2020 uh, this is uh, a blend of Okushkuzu, uh, Bogasheri, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And this is what we said. Uh, an enchanting nose of fresh blue fruit and dried herbs, which follow onto the palate. Concentrated notes of ripe blueberry and plum are supported by a fine integrated tannic structure and juicy acidity. Vibrant and lifted with a saline flourish on the finish. Who doesn't like a saline flourish? Uh, next to a steely white uh, from Emir. We talked a bit about this uh, uh, grape variety. It's the one that uh, we made parallels with uh, Shabli for. Yedi Bilgela Sarap Chilik Vindemir Defni was a gold medal winner with 95 points. 
Uh, the all-important tasting note, a divinely elegant wine with glorious acidity and superbly balanced notes of crisp green apple, sweet lemon zest, moorish sesame seeds and sensuous jasmine, boasts a gorgeously creamy mouthfeel and it's blessed with a magnificently long, memorable finish. And talking of finishes, our final one from this selection, also getting a gold with 95 points, Mei Iki Sanai and Tikaret Kaira, vintage Naringe 2021. Kaira, the uh, winery that Gushtem worked for, we referenced that earlier. This is 100% Naringe. The judges said this, a wonderful, intense nose of apple, quince and ripe melon with a fresh minerality, giving an elegant and rounded fruit-driven palate. Soft citrus textures and yellow plum-filled elegant length. There's a a mouthful and five fantastic gold medal winning mouthfuls from Turkey. So look out for those. Uh, My thanks as ever to Sarah Abbott, MW, and Gushtem Gerbushatik too. Uh, Thank you to you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Do join us again next time. And you can follow us at Food FM Radio or Club Analogique on Instagram or X, the newish name for Twitter, that most of us still refer to as Twitter. Uh, And I am Mr. Venusaurus on both of those platforms. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.